0: Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa wassalamu ala sallallahu alayhi wa Respected brothers and elders in Islam, <coughs> sisters, ulama, students of knowledge <coughs> Allah Azza wa Jal in his infinite wisdom has made this dunya a place of intiqal A place of moving from one stage to another stage And this is the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal that he has made not only one stage but multiple stages that you and I have to go through. And that first stage that comes in the womb ends when the child is born and comes into this dunya. This is the first stage that we go through. The second stage that we are present in right now, this dunya that we are in comes to an end when we go from this dunya when our time on this earth is come, is finished. When the Malakul maut the angel of death comes, and he takes a, a ruh, then this second stage also ends. But it's not the end. It is the end of this stage, but it's not the end. Rather, it's the beginning of a third stage, which is known as barzakh. Interspace, the intermediary time and space between a person being in this dunya and being in Jannah or hellfire. Billah. So the third stage after this dunya is the stage of barzakh. When a person dies, he enters that third stage. And after the day of judgment, the day of judgment comes, the hereafter person proceeds to his permanent abode, that's the fourth stage, and there's no intiqal from there. Then it's permanent from that point and on. So the first thing that we understand is that Allah Azza wa Jal has made us for baqa, has made us for staying. Just because our life ends in this dunya does not mean that we end. Rather it continues into a third stage and then into a fourth stage. And to understand death in this dunya and the death of people around us. A person faces two things. One is that he faces his own death. And the second thing, he faces the death of his relatives, his family members, people who are close to him. These are the two issues that a person has to deal with when he has to deal with this second stage. Either he dies first, or one of his relatives dies first, and he has to deal with the loss of that relative. So he has to feel either of these two things in this second stage. And like in everything, like the inspiration for everything is the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So in understanding our own death and the death of our relatives, the inspiration is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So if you look at how his life started, how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa even before he was born, according to the majority of the historians, his father passed away. And according to others, just one or two months after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was born. He lost him at such an early stage. And then at the age of six, he lost his mother. His was Allah Allah Azza wa Jal made it so that his grandfather took him under his wing and started raising him. But that too was not meant to last last. At the age of eight, his grandfather passed away. And sallallahu Alaihi became under the wing of his uncle. And there he grew up and he became a young man. And then he got married. Allah Azza wa Jal gave him Nubuwa this responsibility came upon him to guide the entire mankind the most difficult job in the world Allah Azza wa put upon his shoulders Rasulullah and now he not only had to deal with the hostile society for, him, for whom Tawheed was an alien concept was a concept that they did not understand, they did not seek to understand they wanted to continue going in their blindness he had to deal with all these factions, all these issues that a Nabi inevitably has to deal with. And th- when this was going on, while he was in Makkah, he was dealt with a double loss. Both his external and internal support taken out just in a matter of few months. His uncle passed away, who had protected him from the Quraysh, and his wife, Khatija radiallahu anha, who continued to support Rasulullah When Rasulullah had come home that day, when the first revelation had come down, when that meeting with Jibreel a.s. had taken place, when he had come down and he explained to Khatija anna, what had happened. Kalla, wallahi, ma Allahu abada. No, Allah Azza wa will never disgrace you, Rasool, Ya Rasulullah. His internal support, Shivgo was gone. In a matter of few months, both of these incidents happened. And his uncle who had protected him, he was gone. And that year was so difficult for Rasulullah that it was, as the, it was known as the Amul Huzn the year of grief for rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam life after life the people closest to him being taken away from him and rasulullah Sallam persisted because this is how it is ashaddu nasi bala al anbiya the people who are tested the most are the anbiya this is the rule this is how allah azza jal has made it and so rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he immigrated to medina you are all aware mashallah that he had a number of daughters a number of children but only Fatima radiallahu anhu, lived after him. Every single one of his daughters and sons passed away before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, except for Fatima. So Al-Qasim, Abdullah, Ibrahim, amongst his daughters, Ruqayya, Zainab, Umm Kulthum, they all passed away before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, goes out to Badr. Allah azza wa jal grants him a manifest victory for Islam. At the same time, Ruqayya radiallahu anha, she is sick. The wife of Usman Radiallahu An. So he asked Rasul Usman Radialla to stay and take care of Ruqayya. While he's at Badr, Ruqayya anha passes away. By the time he comes home, she has already been buried. Now how does the household of Rasulullah receive this? Do they give him congratulations that of the victory of Badr? Or do they console him and give him condolences on the loss of Rukayah anha? How do you deal with these two things? And what kind of mood would have been in the house of Nubuat that these two things combined when Rasulullah has come home from Badr and his daughter has passed away? Test after test, test. But Rasulullah continue making sabr after sabr after sabr. After Ruqaiah passed away, Zainab Radiallahu Anha, who was having a difficult life in Makkah, she was able to make hijrah, came to Medina. She was then separated from her, from her husband because he was not a Muslim. He did not become a Muslim. She became a Muslim. She was a Muslim. So she was separated from her husband for some time. Then finally her husband became Muslim. He became a Sahabi. He became a companion of Rasulullah And the home, once again happiness came to this home. This, this couple was reunited again. But that happiness did not last long. And within a year she also passed away. Zainab anha this happened Umm Kulthum that who Rasulullah had married to Uthman, Uthman radiallahu an, after the passing away of Ruqayya and thus had given he had earned the laqab the title of Dhul Nurayn because of marrying the two daughters of Rasulullah she passed away after that test after test after test for Rasulullah and then there is a beautiful story or a heart-wrenching story about Ibrahim his son in the tenth year of hijrah where Rasulullah entered upon and Ibrahim upon him, and Ibrahim was passing away, was in a state that he was passing away. He had barely even reached two years of age. And when Rasulullah saw that tears came down his eyes. And so a companion asked him that he didn't expect this from Rasulullah, Rasulullah told him this is rahmah. This is a connection that love that Allah Azza has placed in human beings. This is not something that a person is not being patient. But it is the rahmah, the mercy that Allah Jalla has put inside human beings. It's natural to feel that loss, natural to feel that pain. And he's seeing Ibrahim passing away in front of him. Think about all these losses that came to Rasulullah. And this was the last the son to pass away. Though after that, the only child that survived him was Fatima radiallahu anha. And he's looking, and Ibrahim passes away. And Rasulullah says, ayna tadma." The the, the, the the eyes have tears and tears like pearls came down his Mubarak face, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. and the heart grieves for what has happened. But we don't say anything except what pleases our Arab. And verily we feel the grief, feel the loss of that separation from you, Ibrahim. This was Rasool, the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Loss after loss after loss after loss. We were talking about death. If we were to talk about other issues that Rasulullah had to face with, with hunger, with dealing with the kuffar, dealing with the mushrikeen, dealing with the munafiq, each in itself would be a separate subject. Fatima radiallahu anh, gave him a piece of bread one day and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa told her that this was the first time in three days that he had something to eat. This was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa How difficult was his life? But at the end we said that it's not the, it's when the when the life finally comes to an end, there's a new beginning. And so just like we learned from Rasulullah how to make sabr on the loss of loved ones, we learn from Rasulullah how a person should live his own life and how a person should look forward to what's coming after death. And so Fatima عنها, the only surviving child of Rasulullah enters upon him, but Rasulullah himself is in that state where he's going to pass away. Instead, in in, in that position. And she says to Rasulullah That oh how much pain My father is in How much pain my father is in And Rasulullah responds to her Laysa ala abiki karbun ba'dayom." Abu That after today there is no more pain for your father After this It will be over This was Rasulullah wasallam. Look at the yaqeen Look at the iman Look at what his eyes The goal that was there that everything is for the Akhirah, everything is for the hereafter. How we deal with our own lives, how we live in our own lives, and how we deal with the loss of our loved ones, this is to be learned from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is to be understood from Rasulullah. Just like he taught us with his own sirah how he lived his life, how he taught us our aqidah our living, our customs. Dealing with life, dealing with death, everything is from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So when we look at every aspect, we look at what is the teaching of Islam in this thing, so that we don't fall into any traps. Whether it's in terms of our aqidah, our faith; whether it's in terms of customs, what we do uh, in the rites of burial or after the burial or after the death; whether we too, where does the soul go after the person dies? Whatever happens, we look at what is the teaching of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in this thing and then we move on from that point on. So with that, inshallah, introduction, we'll begin with the talk. The first thing that we have to understand is two things relate to our aqidah, to faith. One happens before death, one happens after death. There's a phenomenon that is known as NDE, near death experiences. And this is when a person who is so close to death that he sees some kind of light, he sees some kind of thing that he assumes it to be the hereafter, and that that person then comes back because he survives, he doesn't die he might be, have been under cardiac arrest, he might have had some other issues that he is not functioning for some time, he's very close to death, but he doesn't die and he comes back and he narrates that he saw some light, he saw a wall of light, he saw something how does Islam deal with these kinds of things? Because these kinds of things happen. People relate stories from one person to another. So and so saw this, so and so saw that, he saw this kind of light. What, is our, what should we think about these kinds of things? We need to understand that. Number one, the diff- there's a difference between a near-death experience and a biological death. When a person dies a biological death, he doesn't come back. There are exceptions that are related to when miracles happen. Isa alayhi salam, uhiyya about that person that was going in Surah Al-Imran, أوكَ الَّذِي marra ala Those are exceptions to the rule. We're talking about when a person dies, and so those things that he sees can be flickers of afterlife, can be something, like a person in his dream might see something about the afterlife, a person in a near-death experience, he's so close to his death, he sees something in a dream that might be related to the afterlife, but it is not what happens after death. Why is it not because what happens after death? The same thing we said about Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because we know from Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam what happens after death. We know what happens to a person after we, that person dies. And inshallah we'll talk about that. But so what a person is describing when he comes back. That might be a flicker of afterlife. This is possible. But not what happens after death. Similarly, at the same time we can rule out the influence of the brain. That this person saw some kind of movie, read some kind of book, had some kind of perception that when a person dies he sees this kind of light, when a person dies he sees something, when a person dies he see this. He sees that we cannot rule out that connection that his brain had some influence on what he thought he saw and then when he comes back he narrates what had happened to him so either of these two things can happen if they, in fact that person is not lying about what he saw because you have incidents where a person goes And that book becomes a bestseller and that person dies and he happens to see uh, Jesus or these kinds of things. And then after a few months on, the story is retracted and it was all a lie. This happened with a person, happened with a young boy. And so before we understand, so when these kinds of stories are told, whether we read about it or somebody tells about it, we need to understand that how does Islam deal with it. Yes, it could be an influence of the brain, it could be a flicker of the afterlife, but it is not what happens after death because Rasulullah has told us what happens after death. And this is possible that a person dies and a person is able to be revived by doctors. This has happened before, this happens in, in, right now. There's nothing wrong with this. As long as Allah Azza wa Jal wills for that person to have life, that person will have life. There's a nori that, story that is narrated about an Arab physician in the time of the Abbasi Khalifa, Al-Mu'tadid. His name was Sabit ibn Qurra. This Arab physician was, is, was very well known and he was a very very smart and excellent person. He was not a Muslim. And he was a personal friend of the Khalifa at that time And so He would go He had the same route that he would take every single day And he would pass by the shop of a butcher One day When he passed by the shop The store was closed And he asked To his companions that This person Why didn't he open his store today They said oh we pa- think he passed away And you know they are taking care of his body right now So he says he didn't pass away. This person couldn't have passed away. Take me to his home. So they take the physician to the home. And he tells two people to hit the ankles of this person with some kind of stick. And he holds on to the hand until he can feel the pulse of that person. And when the pulse comes, he tells the people to stop. And then he takes out a medicine that he had with him. And he makes this person drink. Lo and behold, after a little while, this person opens his eyes. Now the people that are looking at this, they start saying that this physician just revived a dead person. It goes from the home to the street, from street to street, from street to street, until it, the news reaches the Khalifa, who calls this person. And the messengers come and they say, "You have to answer Amirul mumini He goes to him, and so the Khalifa asks him, "Now you're claim, claiming masihiyya? meaning you're claiming that you can revive the dead like Isa alayhi salam?" So he said, "You know, it's not like that." He said, what happened is that I used to pass by a store every day. And he used to take the liver. And he used to put salt on it. And he used to salt it so much. And every day I used to see him eating it. And I knew this situation is not going to last. One day or another he's going to get a stroke. Which is true. They found out that if you have a high salt intake, you get a stroke. It increases your chances. So this physician knew that that this situation is not going to last with him. At one point or another this person is going to get a stroke and yet the medicine was ready and he said when I know that the store was closed I knew something had happened and so that's why the medicine was ready I had the medicine prepared and I gave him the medicine and that's how you know, I treated him he did not come back to life so the message from this story is that when you look when stories are related to you about something, somebody saw this or somebody saw that or even about customs about what happens after death we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that because somebody told you it's supposed to be like that it's some inherited custom that comes down that has no basis in Islam that has no basis in our deen then you have to be careful about these things because when a person passes news from one person to another see how it reaches the sky it was such a small thing the person had a stroke if I told you the story like this for some odd reason this is moving on its own so if a person has a stroke And if I told you a story, a person had a stroke, doctor treated him, it was okay. It would be a perfectly fine story. This is normal. But this person died, this doctor brought him back to life, and so on. This is an unbelievable story. So people took this normal story, and they made it into a mountain. So this is the same thing that we need to be aware of, especially in regarding to the customs related to death, because we have so many innovations that come. People come with Also, you have to do this. You have to do that on the seventh day, on the tenth day, on the fourteenth day, on the fortieth day. And dinner needs to be served. This needs to be dirt. Some kind of sheet needs to be put on the grave. All these kinds of things that are some sort of inherited in our mind, and somehow we can not get away because somebody told us. So this is something that we need to be careful about. I'll give you one example. For example, in some of our in, in our cultures, it is very common. said that you know if you have the musalla, the sajada, don't leave it open like that. Fold it so shaitan doesn't come and pray. It's very common And so you'll find that people have this action They do that Even though if shaitan were to come and pray The story would be over If shaitan were to pray, the job is over But we have this thing, you'll find It's always folded like that, little way There's a little triangle, it's folded like that So this is a situation that we need to be aware Because why? Because I heard it from somebody That we have to do it like this So this is the thing, that with this story Or with any other story, these kinds of Whether it's a near-death experience Somebody tells you something happened Or you have to do like this well, what kind of source did it come back from? If somebody were to tell you you have some kind of physical problem, physical issue, you would look at the credibility of that person. Is this person a doctor? In the same thing, we need to go back to the scholars, to the ulama, and find out this situation. I'm going to do this custom after death, or this custom. Is this really what is in our deen, or is this something that is inherited from generation to generation and has no basis in Islam? And similarly, when we hear news about somebody, you know, seeing light or seeing anything, we need to be careful about that. So because this can affect our Aqeedah. You know, Shaitan can put into your doubt, how is this person? This person saw Jesus and he saw this and he saw that, and you're claiming this happened, and you're saying, wow, this person saw, and you start believing, Uliyadu billah. So, this is something to be very, very careful about. So, this is the Aqeedah before death, that whatever happens after death, Asusan has informed us, and we'll go over that, inshallah. And so, what happens after that, we'll talk about one of those also, Aqeedah, that, that belief that is incorrect reincarnation. Reincarnation is the belief that when a person dies, He comes back into this dunya Either as another person Or either as an animal Based on what that person did in this dunya And so that person comes back into this dunya He recycles into this dunya That's reincarnation So a person was a human And he comes back into this dunya as a parrot This person was a human As a man, he comes back as a woman And so reincarnation is something That is against our akhidah We don't believe in reincarnation Because it contradicts both revelation the Quran and it contradicts common sense, reason. And so the revelation, Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, <laughs> When death comes to the kuffar, they say, I want to go back. Perhaps I can do some good in what I left behind. The days of my life that I wasted, perhaps I can do something good when I go back. You can't do that anymore. إِلَىٰ يَوْمِ يبعثون And in front of this person is a barzakh, hajiz, a barrier that stops him. He can't go back. There's no going back now until the day of judgment. And the day of judgment, Allah Azza will judge between the people and from then on it's to that permanent abode, either Jannah or Jahannam. So reincarnation, this belief that a person dies and comes back as an animal or come back as another human, this contradicts, this is against the raqidah. It contradicts revelation, contradicts the Qur'an, and it also contradicts reason. Because for a person to be rewarded or punished, if a person did bad, he comes back as an animal. If a person comes back did good, he comes back as a human being on a higher stage. For a person to be rewarded or punished, he has to know that I'm being rewarded or punished. This person, this baby is born, he doesn't know. Or this animal is being born, am I being rewarded or am being punished? Who was I in the hereafter? So this is the rule, that for a person to be rewarded or punished, he has to know that I did something bad in my life. Who can remember what happened in your life? You will obviously, again, like we said, like with near-death experience, you will come back and some say something to you, you know, I think in my previous life I was this and this, and I came back and this and this. So obviously, like, the, like hearsay, you can't believe what the people say, because it doesn't make any sense. And it contradicts the re- deen. Number two, the reason is that a person can recall. Somebody says in a dream, I saw in a dream last night that I was in a ship, I was in this, that, and this dream lasted for a minute or two minutes, but the person remembers that dream. And a person lives for a few decades, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, he can't remember how that life passed away from him? Think about it. If a person tries to remember, who was I in my previous life? You can't remember anything. If you're being honest, you don't remember anything because there's nothing there. So this thing also contradicts reason and contradicts revelation. So there's no reason that a person to believe in reincarnation because we have a specific belief about what happens after a person dies. So these are the two aqidahs that we wanted to talk about. There's two beliefs that we need to be careful about. Near-death experiences and refutation of reincarnation. And for the students of knowledge, if you see in the brackets, there are books that are given. So it's for if you want references to go back and write down further, inshallah you can do that. The ruh. Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ أَنِي الرُّوحٍ the Yahood they ask you about the ruh. What's between in the brackets is the Tafsir of Jalaluddin As-Suyuti, or Tafsir Jalalain. ruh min amri Rabbi," say the soul is of the affair of my Lord. Meaning that its ilm, the knowledge of the ruh, is something that you have not been given in detail, and it's not something that your feeble mind, as a human being, can grasp. It's something beyond you to understand. It's whole details. But the deen, the hadith of Rasulullah, the explanations put forth by ulama from these sources are enough that it takes protects a person from doubts and disbelief. So how much do we need to know about the Ruh? Enough that a person doesn't fall into doubt and difficulty regarding his Aqidah and his creed. That's how much a person needs to know. Beyond that, those things where we don't need to know about is not of concern to us, nor is it necessary for us to know about. So that the ruh, the knowledge of it is something we only have it in a very limited fashion to understand. And so if a person says that I'm going to try to grasp and understand this entire ruh, how exactly it functions, what happens and how it goes, there's something beyond his capability. No matter what his IQ is, no matter how smart he is, no matter what Ivy League University he graduated from, he cannot understand this concept of ruh. Because Allah Azza wa Jalla already said it. وَمَا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا And the mankind has not been given of knowledge except a little in regards to the knowledge that Allah Azza wa Jal has. It is nothing. So when we want to pursue ilm of knowledge, which is a hidden matter, just like life after death is, we want to have adab in the knowledge that we are pursuing. We have to be careful in the knowledge that I am pursuing. It's enough that it takes away my doubts, the difficulties I have, what I need to know about the Akhirah. But I don't go delving into issues which are not of concern to me, which are no benefit for me in the Akhirah, which I don't need to know. Because that is only clean trouble for myself, and you're not going to get anywhere anyways. Because Allah already said it, you're not going to understand it. So why would a person waste time? So being careful. So there's an adab about seeking knowledge. Imam al shabi rahmatullah from amongst the pious scholars, explained, put forth this example very well. A person came to him and asked him, and said, what is the name of the wife of shaytan this was a question that Ali was asked what is the name of the wife of Shaitan? the answer was that is a wedding I did not attend so you know, when we look at how concept is now who, what is it going to benefit to you in your afterlife in your deen what is it going to affect you that you find out what is the name of the wife of Shaitan if in fact he has a wife what benefit is it to, of that it has no benefit to us so when we want to seek knowledge you have to have adab because this ilm that you are seeking those matters which are hidden how much of it our feeble minds can understand Allah Azza wa wants ubudiyah from us slavery from us not that we understand every concept has to make sense to me before I submit myself to Allah Azza so only enough so there's a balance between the adab and at the same time reminding ourselves of our, de- of our death because these two need to be balanced you need to know enough that you consider death, you think about death, you consider about your real home, it's in the hereafter And you pursue those actions that will give you benefit in the hereafter Because if you just sit back and relax and say I don't need to know anything And there's no inclination in the heart to learn about those things that it's necessary for you to know Then in your heart you won't have that inclination to do, do, do those good deeds You have to have a desire for the akhirah. You have to have a little bit of knowledge about what's going to come so that I have this desire, something that gives me inspiration, inclination to remember. So that's our two objectives today. Our, th- our thing, our purpose is not to find out everything that is need to be known about the rule, because nobody can tell you that. Our objective is to remember death, and number two, to have inclination towards the hereafter. After remembering death, a person can either be extremely scared and say, I don't want to do it, I don't want to go through it, but that's not going to matter. He can say whatever he wants, but death's going to come. Or a person can remember death, accept it as a fact, and say, how can I incline my hearts towards the hereafter, towards the Akhirah, so that when I when I go back and I do good deeds, I'm doing it for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. I'm doing it to build something for myself in the hereafter. I don't remember what's I don't forget that what's coming afterwards. So these are two objectives today that we're learning, what we're learning to remember death, and number two to have an inclination towards the hereafter, to have a desire for the hereafter to understand allah some scholars have given us what is the connection of the ruh and the body in life so that we understand how death takes place when a person is awake if in fact everybody is awake the person the connection of the ruh with the body is strong the connection of the ruh with our body is strong inshallah this come later on but just so that you understand the body is like the covering of the ruh the body is just like the covering of the ruh and so as long as we're awake, this connection is strong. When a person goes to sleep, he can't move, he can't think like when he does when he's awake. So that connection becomes weaker. But if you take a pin and you prick him with that pin, he'll, he'll awake. He'll wake up. And so that connection, this ruh is one of the fastest things. So fast that it goes up and down within a twinkle of eye. And this ruh, this connection becomes weaker as the person becomes weaker. So when a person is sleeping, now the connection is not the same as when he's strong. When a person becomes unconscious, whether it's induced, whether it's naturally, a person, forget about picking a pin, you can, he can go through surgery, he goes through open heart surgery, he goes through other procedures, and he doesn't feel a thing. Because the connection between the ruh and the body has become even more weaker. Then a person gets very, very close to death Where doctors are close to giving up hope Or perhaps have given up hope And then by the will of Allah This person comes back to life That's when we talked about When a person sees those kind of near-death experiences There's a possibility of seeing something Or being influenced by the brain But it's not include what happens after death But at this stage Where a person is so close to death The closer he gets The weaker, weaker connection it becomes At that point The connection between the ru' and the body Is at its weakest And then when death plagues plagues takes place From which there is no coming back Real biological death There is a separation of the ru and the body And so the ru is released And so Ali radiallahu has explained this To give you an idea Um, Mufassireen have mentioned this That when a person is sleeping And so there is also the ru comes out But one beam remains That is the connection Between life and death If that beam were to come out all the way Then death would take place and it is up to Allah Azza wa Because he receives, he takes Full the ruh of those people Who die And the ruh of those people who are asleep Then if Allah Azza wa Jal Has will for those people to die, these people die And for these people Allah Azza wa has released them So that they live to an appointed time Though That ruh is then released If Allah Azza wa were to Keep back that entire, take that entire soul That person would be dead So this is the connection between The ruh and a person's death Weaker it gets, the closer a person gets to death. That is the real thing that is behind Insan. Continuing with the Ruh, we mentioned that it has a shape, and the body is just like a covering for it. The Quran and Hadith indicate shape and form, because they talk about entering of the Ruh, the Ruh is breathed breathed into the womb, and the Khuruj of the Ruh, where the Ruh is taken out, and how the angels take it into a shroud, Just like the body is taken in a shroud When a person dies And you put that body in a shroud And you bury it Same way The ruh is also taken into a shroud So this indicates to us That the ruh has a shape and form How exactly is the shape and form This is something that is of no concern to us Because it doesn't affect us in any way But the connection of the ruh With the body remains In the afterlife So the ruh can experience pleasure or pain Depending on what it did in this dunya, in this second stage. So whatever the ruh did, there is a direct con- the person did in this dunya, there is a direct correlation between that and what kind of pleasure or pain the ruh experiences in the barzak, in the third stage that comes after a person dies. There is a direct connection between the two. And so this connection remains. How is this connection remaining? Allah Azza wa Jal knows the true way of it. But ulama have described it, this was, and will come again, that you see how the sun, is thousands and thousands of miles away. Yet we feel the heat. We feel the rays of the sun here on the earth. In the same way, the ruh might be separated from the body when a person dies and has its own maqam, has its own abode, has its own place. But the connection with the body remains wherever that body is. Even if that body is burnt, destroyed, whatever happens to that body, the connection with the ruh remains. And so in a hadith it comes Rasulullah has narrated About a person who did many wrong things in his life He was a believer And he did many many wrong things in his life When the time of his death comes This hadith is in Bukhari He says to the children That if I die Take me and burn my body Make it ashes Make it ashes And just throw away the ashes Distribute them here and there And so his children carry out his instructions just like his, the father had mentioned. Allah Azza wa Jal commands it to get together. And he asks that person, why did you do what you did? Why did you ask for your body to be burned and ashes to be dispersed? He says, because of fear of you. I feared you. I was so fearful of you that I wondered that I hadn't done any good in my life. This fear, because of this fear, Allah Azza wa forgave him. And what we understand from then the hadith, that no matter what happens to the body, whether it's thrown in the... Whether a person drowns. Whether a person is burnt in a fire. Whether an animal eats him. Whatever happens. Dead body. Whatever happens to it. Allah Azza wa Jal takes it into account. In, through his ability. Because Allah, alla kulli Allah Azza wa Jal is capable of all things. And the questioning. All the things that happen after death. Take place with that person. Because this is nothing for Allah Azza wa Jal. Connection of the ruh with the living, with the people, with the family members that that person has left behind. It is often a concept that we have in our minds that somehow the ruh or that person comes back to visit home. This is something that some people have. Like we said, we need to get away from those things that are not part of our deen. So it is not established by any authentic reports that in fact the ruh visits the home or this person who has passed away comes back to his home to visit his family members, to visit his wife, to visit his children, to visit his father. But there is enough connection of the ruh with those alive. There is a connection. What kind of connection is there? That if the reward of a deed is consigned to that person, he receives that reward. A person is sitting there and says, my father passed away, my mother passed away, my wife passed away, and he reads Quran and he consigns the reward of that reading, that recitation to that person, the reward reaches him. That's one connection that is there. A person donates money to the masjid or does something else, does something else for his beloved deceased, that reward reaches him. This is a connection that Allah Azza wa Jal has kept between the deceased and those he has left behind. So this connection stays. The first connection is that whatever reward is consigned, it is received. The second connection is that that person is informed about the good and bad deeds of his living relatives. He left behind his son, he left behind his wife, he left behind his um, uh, other relatives. That who is informed about what good and bad deeds those people did. And if it's good, then he becomes happy. And if it's bad, he becomes sad. So this is a second connection that is there between the person, the ruh, and those people he has left behind, between the deceased and those relatives of his. And a third connection is that the person is able to return salams to visitors to his grave. If a person goes to the grave of that person, and he is able to return, the person says salam, visits that person, that person is able to hear and respond to that salam. Like we said, there's a connection between the ruh and the body. Wherever the maqam of that ruh is, whether the abode of that ruh is, it maintains a connection with that body. Whether that body continues to stay in that grave, or whether that body is even moved from one place to another place. If for some reason it is moved, for if it is moved, we're not talking about it's moving, but if it is moved, then that connection stays with the body wherever that body is. at the time of death in pre-islamic times the kufar had many many names of death in arabic maut hutuf maniya but this concept of death wafa how we see also in urdu wafat wafa was not used in pre-islamic times this is something that is exclusive to the islamic times this was something a word that they did not use for death and this is a subtle reminder from Allah Azza wa Jal. When you mention the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal is the one that takes the soul in full when the time of its death. This verse of the Quran from this word is derived the meaning of the word of death, wafa. This concept was not prevalent, it was not known amongst the kuffar. This is a totally Islamic concept that the, to indicate to the kuffar and to indicate to everybody that Allah Azzawajal calls the ruh the ruh is received in full is taken in full to indicate that it's not the end it's end of life as we know it but there is another procedure now there is another stage now there is another realm now there is the barzakh there is this new world that is beginning beginning for that person and so this is an indication to us for those that read the Quran that wafa those who believe in the islamic concept of death that Allah Azzawajal, it doesn't end here it continues going there is an end to life as we know it, but the new stage begins. And that's why it's important to understand that through these subtle, subtle notices that Allah Azza wa both uh, apparently and subtly through these maani al-latifa, through these subtle, subtle meanings, Allah Azza wa indicated to us to underst- so that we understand that understand what is coming after you. Think about it and do something about it before time is too late. At the time of death, the dying believer hears the good news from the angel. He hears the good news that, you know, O oh, good soul, come out to the pleasure of Allah Azza wa and his forgiveness. He hears this. It is not something that we, we are looking at a person, this person is passing away, that we can see this is something that he knows because that is something that is in another realm. It is not something that we can look at. And so the dying believer hears the good news from the angel at the time of his death. And when a person really, really dies, there are some lessons in there for us. How we address and talk about that dead person When a person dies We say Where is the Mayit For example if a person named Zayd passes away We no longer say where is Zayd. We say where is the Mayit Where is the dead person We no longer call him by his name And this is something to indicate to us About the temporariness of the dunya It's probably been a few minutes since this person has passed away and we're no longer calling him by his name. He's no longer Zayd or Ahmad or anybody else. No she is no longer Juvairia or Hafsa or anybody else. Where is the Mayit? Where is the dead body? You're erased from this dunya. Few minutes have passed. Few minutes ago you were Zayd, Ahmad, you had a name. Now you're just referred to as Mayit. This person is Mayit. After some time, in some places, they start saying now, where is the body? They don't even refer to you as a person now. juthah where is the body? has the body been taken for ghusl? in which funeral home is the body? these are the kind of concepts and language that we use take it further the ghusl is made it's brought into the masjid we don't say the body is brought into the masjid, we say the janaza is brought into the masjid that janazah means that funeral bier on which the dead person is carried now you're you're not even referred to as as that body or that mayyit, you're consigned. You're referred to as that piece of wood. Where's the janaza? Did you bring the janaza? Where is gonna be the janaza? We're taking the janaza to the cemetery. Janaza is the word for the funeral bier. It's also for the person when he's put on the janaza, but he's called that because of the funeral bier on which he's carried. So now you're not even referred to as a body. Within 24 hours of your dead of your body, it is as if you did not of your death. as if you did not exist. So this is the temporariness of the dunya, respected brothers and elders, and a person should look into this and understand how temporary this dunya is, and how did it all start? Death. There are some historical narrations that Ibn Kathir has mentioned in his Tafsir and Al bidaa wa nihaya that talk about that Allah Azza wa Jal, He sent Jibrail salam to get earth, to get earth, to make insan. When Jibreel came to get the earth, the earth said, A'udhu billahi mink, I seek refuge in Allah from you. And so when Jibreel heard that, he stopped. When he heard the name of Allah, azza wa jal, he stopped. And he went back without taking the earth. And he told Allah, azza wa jal, and Allah azza wa jal knew already that the earth sought refuge in you. He sought refuge, she sought refuge with your name. So I could not take the earth. She said, "A'udhu billahi mink, And so I could not take it when she took your name And then they said that another angel was sent It was Mikail عليه With the same mission and purpose To bring back earth And when he came The earth said the same thing "A'udhu billahi mink. I seek refuge in Allah from you When he heard the name of Allah He stopped And he went back and told the same thing As Jibreel a.s., said This time another angel was sent Who is known as Malakul Maut But he was not Malakul Maut at that time and so when he came, the earth said the same thing. But he said, he did not stop. He said, and I seek refuge in Allah Azza wa Jal, that I return without carrying out what He commanded me to do. I'm going to take it. And so he took this earth and he brought it back, and from this, the first insan, Adam alayhi salam, was made. What we want to understand from these historical narrations, respected brothers, is that. Malakul Mud didn't have any taraddud, didn't have any hesitation. The earth said, I seek refuge in you, I seek refuge in Allah from you. No hesitation at all. I've been commanded to do something, no delay. The person that understands this can understand a lot that when our time comes, there's not going to be any delay. You can do, say whatever you want, you can have done whatever you want, your time has come, you have to go. Yes, there's an exception for the anbiya. That they are given choice, they are given khiyar. That is a different rule. We're talking about us. When our time comes, there's not going to be any exceptions. There's not going to be, I seek refuge in Allah from you. It's not going to matter what you say. Your time has come, your time has come. So the person who understands this and he doesn't know when that's going to happen seeks to move as quickly as forward as possible with doing good deeds, seeking forgiveness from Allah Azza wa Jal. So when that time does come to him, he's ready for it. What happens to the soul right before and after death? This is a long hadith, an authentic hadith that is narrated by the companion Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu An, in Musnad Ahmad. Rasulullah wa there was a funeral that was held for one of the member, for one of the Ansar, one of the companions from Medina. After that the Sahaba sat and Rasulullah had a stick in his hand with which he was scratching the ground. And then he told the Sahaba around him to seek refuge in Allah from the grave from the punishment of the grave he said this two or three times and then Rasulullah described the procedure of what actually happens when a person dies he said وسلم, the mafhum of the hadith when the believer is about to depart from this world angels come down their face is white as the sun and they sit at a distance from him they sit at a far distance from him out of adab and ikram for that person for that believer and then the angel of death comes down and then he says, O oh good soul, come out to the pleasure and forgiveness of Allah Azza wa And the soul comes out, like if I were to take, if there was a drop of water in this cup, and if I were to empty it, how that one drop of water would just slide out, this is exactly how the soul of a believer slides out. Like that drop of water slides out from the water skin bag. That's how the soul of the believer comes out because it sees the ikram And the honor that is awaiting him. The angels are there. These angels that are there with faces white as the sun, they have come with the shroud from Jannah. They have come with the perfumes of Jannah. The soul recognizes that. That I am about to be honored. And so it comes out as easily as a drop of water comes down. And as soon as the angel of death takes it, they don't leave it, this ruh, in the hands of that angel angel of death for a second. These angels that are there with the shroud of Jannah, with the perfume of Jannah, immediately take this ruh, And put it in the shroud of Jannah which is perfumed with the perfume of paradise and they take it and they ascend they come up to the lowest level they ask permission permission is given they go up and at every level they go up level after level after level, heaven after heaven after heaven the angels ask who is this good soul and they say take the best names that that person was known in the dunya for and a group of angels from every level Accompany that person As a grand procession They continue going, 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 going Until they reach the seventh heaven Until they reach Allah Azza wa Jal The, where the, the heavens And so Allah Azza wa jal commands That the person's record be put, put, written down in Iliyin, Which is in the seventh heaven And then it be returned to his body And so his body is returned back And that person, that ruh Between the time that he goes, comes back And between the time his body is washed the coffin is prepared, is getting ready for the Janazah Salat. He sees all this. He remains in the hand of an angel and he sees the washing, he sees the shrouding, he sees the praises of people. MashaAllah, this person used to play in the masjid. MashaAllah, this person you know, was so pious, this person was so kind, this person had so much tawadu'ah, so much humility. He hears the praises of the people and they're saying, and they're washing him and he's hearing it. He hears the praises of the people and they're putting on him the coffin and he hears these, were they where they're being shrouded? And then he's put into the into the grave and then the questioning begins the grave actually we should go back one step and talk about also how a disbeliever passes away just so that we have it in our mind as a reminder the same hadith that we talked about from the muslim ahmad when a disbeliever is about to pass away from this world angels come down dark dreary, and they come with a sackcloth they wait for that person. The angel of death comes out and the angel of death comes and says that, you know, evil soul come out to the anger and punishment of Allah Azza wa And the soul, when they sees, because the soul can see, just like the soul of a believer sees the honor that's going to be given to him, the soul of a disbeliever sees what kind of punishment is awaiting him, it doesn't want to come out. And so it disperses in his body. It disperses in his body here and there. And so the angel of death has to pull this out with ulf with strength, with violence. And so it comes out, how it comes in the hadith, like when you take the skewer, when you're barbecuing something and you have chicken and you have all those kinds, like the skewer on there, and you take that skewer out, just like a skewer that is in the wet wool and you pull it out, and the pieces of wool that come out, that's how that person's roo comes out, cutting his veins from the inside. Something that we don't see, because in this dunya you don't see that there is another realm. But the pain that that soul is going through is something that is beyond describable. Just like when you take a skewer and you pull it out, and those pieces of wet wool that are there that get stuck on the skewer, the same way this body is this, this ruh is pulled out. And they take it to the heavens, and permission is not given, not at the lowest heaven to open. And that soul is flung down from that height onto the earth. So this is the punishment that is waiting a disbeliever. One day, Rasulullah, this is a different hadith, Al Bara ibn Azib radiallahu an narrates that Rasulullah ﷺ was one day walking and he saw some Sahaba gathered together and he saw the Sahaba gathered together and he asked you know what are they gathered for and they said they're digging a hole to bury one, one of the persons one of the people and Rasulullah ﷺ, when he heard that he quickly went over to that place and he sat down at the grave Al-Bara ibn Azib says I came from the other side Sahaba wanted to know What does Rasulullah do at every single stage? We want to learn, we want to see He comes from the other side So he can face Rasulullah And see what is Rasulullah going to say What are his emotions, what are his actions He sits down, Rasulullah sits down Kneels on the grave And Rasulullah cries and cries How much does he cry? Until the tears wet the ground that is there You can imagine how many tears come out If a person cries, a few tears come out They wet his beard But imagine the tears that come down And go all the way to to the soil and then Rasulullah said, Oh my brothers, for the like of this day, prepare. Prepare for this day that when a person is himself, he's gonna be in this place. And how it's gonna be in that day. So prepare for it. Don't let time go by where the person is negligent, thinking that I will live. I have six fifty years, thirty years, forty years, you have no guarantee. So prepare for that day. In the same way the sahaba, they learned this from Rasulullah, concern to prepare for what's to come after. And they also had the same concern. Usman radiallahu an." Graduated from the school of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi sahaba, companion of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi his son-in-law, the third khalifa, from the ten that have been given glad tidings of paradise. In spite of all this, they used to see, the companions of Usman radiallahu anhu, that when the grave was mentioned, he used to weep, he used to cry. They said to him that heaven is mentioned, Jannah is mentioned, Naar is mentioned, you don't cry, you don't weep. But the grave is mentioned and you cry. What is the reason for that? We want to understand that. Usman said, the grave is the first stage of the Akhirah. Whoever is saved there, all the stages that come after are going to be easier for him. And whoever fails in that stage, whoever stumbles at that point, everything that come after will be only downhill for that person. Will be only more difficult and more punishing for that person. So look, understand from the tears of Rasulullah, how valuable those tears are, from the tears of his companions, how valuable those tears are. How important it is to prepare for that day before it comes. The Tabi'in Hassan al-Basri, Rahimullah, was a person, was at a janazah. In those days, it was not these days a person only goes usually to the janazah of the person that he knows. In the past, previous times people used to go to the janazah of whoever they heard that person was dying, to take an ibra, to take a lesson about the death. And so Hassan al-Basri was in a janazah and a funeral. And so one person asked another person close by him. One person asked another person, who is this Mayyid? They don't even know who this person is. You remember what we said some time ago? They don't, they don't call you by your name anymore. You said, who is this dead person? Who is the dead person? They don't know because they used to attend the janazah. So, al- so Hassan al-Basri tullahi, said, this is you and I. هذا أنا وأنت. This is you and I. It doesn't matter who he is. One day it's going to be you and I. One day this day is going to come, people are going to come and pray over us. The ibrah, the the lesson that we need to take from this Hassan al-Basri is saying is that you see yourself in every janazah you pray. You see yourself in every death you hear about. That this could have been me today. This could have been I that passed away today. And my deeds would have come to an end. Except for those deeds that continue. For example, consigning of the reward, sadaqah jariya This could have been me today. So a person take a lesson from that and fix his life, change his life before it's too late. Also in the grave, there's something that is known as dhamma or daqta It's narrated in different hadiths in different ways. It, dhamma and daqta mean the same thing. It's a pressing of the grave. This happens for every single person. Pious, Unpious, believer, disbeliever But the range of it, the severity of it Or the softness of it varies For the believer, it is as soft as like how a mother hugs you And for the believer, it is so difficult That one rib goes over the other rib This is called the daqta And nobody is safe from this Nobody is a person can survive from that Rasulullah wasallam when sa ibn Mu'adh عنه, passed away that he said something to the effect that lahu Arsh, the one for whom the Arsh of Allah Azza wa Jal shook at the time of his death. Wa Abu and for him for Sa'ad ibn Muazd the skies, the doors of the skies would open. Wa shahidah Sabrun Alfa min al and seventy thousand angels were witnessing his janazah. This person that passed away, for whom the arsh of Allah Azza wa Jal shook. If anybody were to escape from the daqta the Dhamma of the pressing of the grave it would have been Sa'ad if anybody would have been buried, but that's not what well, not meant, meant to happen. But if a person is a pious believer, then this pressing is soft. It's like how a mother hugs her child. And there's a subtle reason it is that the ulama have said, they say that the reason for this, this is what the ulama have said, that how if you recall Jibreel alayhi salam, when he came down to give the revelation to Rasulullah how he pressed him and then let him go and then told him to read, And then Rasulullah said, Ma'ana انا بِقَارِي I'm not a reciter, I'm not a reader. Then he pressed him again. So that a person is able, is getting ready to be able to answer the questions of the malaika. Because it's something that a person is not used to. You're being questioned now. A test is being taken. This is is called the fitna of the qabr. This is called the trial of the grave. You have to be ready for that. So this pressing is to prepare that person. Whether that person is going to be questioned or not going to be questioned. Because inshallah we'll get to those fortunate people are not questioned in the grave, inshallah. There is a category of people, but whether that person is to be questioned or not to be questioned in the grave, that pressing takes place. So, this is the severity of the grave. The questioning, like we mentioned, not every person is questioned. The Prophet is not questioned. When we talk about the question of the grave, we talk about the angels when they see, when they say to you, come say, who is your Lord? What is your deen? Who is this person, Yani Rasulullah, that was sent to you? These are the questions about Aqeedah and Tawheed that take place in the grave. This questioning doesn't happen for everybody. Some categories of people are saved from these questions. At the top of the list are the prophets Prophet they are not questioned in the grave. Children of the believers, those who pass away before reaching the age of maturity, they are also not questioned in the grave. A person who dies a Shaheed is also not questioned in the grave. A person who passes away on a Friday or on a Friday night, just recall that Friday night in our in our understanding is Thursday night, not Friday night. Friday night in our is Thursday night because the night comes before the day. So that person who dies on a Friday night or the day of Friday before Maghrib, this person is also not questioned in the grave. The person who dies from a stomach disease, he is also called Shaheed in a hadith. This person is also not questioned in the grave. So he is not asked these questions. The fitna, he is safe from the fitna of the grave. In Imams Al-Qurtubi, Al-Alusi in his Tafsir, and Mufti Mahmud al-Hasan Gangoi, these ulama have said that the person who reads Surah Al-Mulk every night, this person is also not questioned in the grave. The person who reads Surah Al-Mulk every night is also not questioned in the grave. When a person is put in the grave and the time of the questioning comes, he feels it is made to him to feel as if the sun is setting. As the sun is about to set, and he's a believer, so immediately he feels like he is, he's is not prayed his asr salah. The angels come, and an immediate indication of his belief, he says to him, I need to pray salah. I haven't prayed salah yet, I need to pray salah. The connection of the dunya with ibadah, it carries over in the akhirah. And the angel said, you will do, answer the questions first. So these are the questions for the person who is questioned. Who is your Lord? What is your deen? Who is this man that was sent to you? But these are not questions that a person can memorize in this dunya. These are questions that a person is true in his tawheed, in his deen, in his acceptance of the Nubu of Rasulullah This person will answer these questions right. It's not a paper that a person says and memorize it. If it happens, I know the answer. If it doesn't happen, I don't know the answer. It's not like that. It's how you lived your life is how you will be able to answer the question. So a true believer will answer these questions. What happens to the ruh after the questioning? The person has been put in the grave. We've already mentioned, talked about what happens to the ruh, how it watch, watches the burial, the procedure, how it goes up, comes back down. What happens to the ruh after questioning? The, 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 the ruh has been put into when the person is buried. The ruh has been put into the body. The question has taken place. Now, what happens to the ruh? The, like we said in the beginning, the connection of the ruh, the body remains. And it's just like the sun's light. We said it's thousands of light years away. Its position is that far away, but its heat is felt here, its light is felt here. That is exactly the connection of the ruh, how we can understand it, with the body. That is how the ruh, through this connection, when a person goes to the grave of a loved one and conveys salam, that, through that connection, a person is able to respond to the salam. Through that connection, a person's connection with the ruh is meant. And a person is able to meet with those who died before him. Those believers who died before him The ruh is able to meet with those people who died before him If a person was preceded by his wife, by his children, by other relatives He gets to meet those If he was a believer And so if the, it comes that some of the believers They ask, what about so and so He passed and they will say That person who just passed away will say Well he passed away some time ago And when they know that they haven't met him That that person did not pass and that's why he was not able to meet the ruh. Because the ruh that passes the test is the ruh that is able to meet those who died before him. That ruh that fails, that, is not, that does not succeed, it doesn't have any access because it's, it's imprisoned. For the ruh that believes, for the ruh that passes, it is the ruh that is free. So when the person answers the question correctly, or for the person who is not questioned, the grave is expanded far and wide for him. It's not that realm that we see, we open up the grave and we see this is, you know, six feet feet by so-and-so. That is another realm. So much so that if a person is buried, one believer here, one disbeliever here. Obviously, we have our own cemeteries. But if a person is put in that situation, and even if they were to be put in the same place, those two will be experiencing totally different scenarios. The believer experiencing the pleasure, and the disbeliever experiencing the pain. So this is not about digging the grave to see what's going on. It's not something that our eyes can see. The grave is expanded far and wide. The bed, he has answered the questionnaire. A bed from paradise is put out for him. He is clothed in the clothes of paradise. The door to paradise is opened up for him. And he enjoys and he relaxes in this manner. With this connection, this is not the real maqam. This is not the real abode of the soul. Like we said, the connection is only like the connection of the sun. He is there in another place. Inshallah, we'll get to where that person is. That Ru is. But the connection with the body remains where the grave is expanded far and wide, the bed and clothes from paradise are given to him, the door to paradise is open for him. So he is enjoying the pleasures of paradise right there in that grave. At the same time, his Ru is being somewhere else. Now, how exactly is that connection? We don't know. And it's not something that we're required to know. And it's other for us to stop here and say because we can't grasp how that connection is in two places. But I give you one example, and Allah Azza wa is Alam. In this, in our day and time And we have, this is about the akhirah, where, where, you know, all these limitations that we have don't apply at all A person, they have a person where a person wants to give a speech They have him in one place For example, a person is in Chicago They're able to make a hologram of that person in another city And that person, whatever movements that he makes Are depicted by that hologram exactly in that other place And so this person is in two places This is in dunya with the, all the limitations that a person has. What about in the akhirah? none of these limitations apply? So to understand that the ruh has a connection with the body, wherever it is. At the same time, its maqam, its abode, its place is somewhere else. There is a great disparity between where the soul will be. Just trying to see the time to see... There's a great disparity between the souls, because barzakh has many, many ranks. It is not one rank. How a person does, that's how it's gonna be. That dunya is greater than this dunya. Imagine the richest person in this dunya, who has never been sick in his life, who has never had any taqlif, any pain in his life, and imagine the poorest person in this dunya, who is sick who is not feeling well, who is experiencing all sort of health issues. The difference between them is like the difference between day and night. Look at this in the dunya and the barzakh. That stage that is after is even more expansive in terms of the rank of a person enjoying and a person being punished. That is greater. So the barzakh has many, many ranks. There is iliyyin, which is in the seven heavens. There are souls that will be riding upon birds according to sahih and authentic hadith. There are those that will be restricted to the gate of Jannah. They will have their risk come out to them from the gate, from the Jannah, but they will not be allowed to enter into Jannah for whatever reason that they've been restricted. There will be some souls that are restricted to their graves. There will be some unfortunate souls, Wa liyadu billah, may Allah protect us, will be put into chambers of heat for burning. There will be some souls that will be made to swim in rivers of blood while stones are thrown at them. There will be some souls that will be in Sijin, which is in the seventh hell, which is in the seventh earth in hell. So, the level of a soul is not one different place. With its connection with the grave, the real maqam, just like the sun is so far away, but it's, we feel the heat, like we said, its real maqam, its real abode is someplace else. It keeps a connection with the grave, but its place will be whatever it did in this dunya, that's how it will be in the akhirah. And there's a beautiful hadith there is very subtle something for the students of knowledge to note that there is a hadith authentic hadith they narrated that the soul of a believer will be a bird eating in the trees of paradise is authentic hadith and this hadith what's so special about it is that three imams three of the four mujtahid imams have are in the chain of this hadith imam ahmad ibn hanbal narrates from Imam Shafi'i who narrates narrates from Imam Malik in that hadith, it's an authentic hadith and the the ulama have interpreted in different ways it could mean that that person, that soul is given the ability to fly in Jannah it could mean that that person, that ruh will use the birds as a mode of transport in Jannah or it could also mean which is a a view that is not a preferred view, that it could mean that that person becomes a bird in Jannah so these are three views regarding that soul that will become A bird in Jannah How it will be able to enjoy The fruits and trees of paradise Until Allah has, until the day of judgment comes And the hisab has to take place So these are the maqam So in, To sum it up, these maqam are different And a person, the more he tries The more effort he makes The more ikhlas he has The more he follows the sunnah of Rasulullah The more s- strong he is in his deen The higher his maqam will be his, For his soul in the Akhirah, In the barzakh Finally, we come to the beneficial actions, those actions which will help us in the hereafter. Respected brothers and elders, sisters, He who lives watchful of the, for the end, that my end is going to come, I don't know what's going to come, I have to be ready for it. He who lives watchful for the end, remembers his death, lives in a state and in a mindset that he is ready for his death at any moment that he comes. The person who reminds himself, he's ready and watchful that my end will come at any moment. How many people are there who are perfectly fine and they're dead the next minute? And how many people who are there who are struggling from so many diseases, but they live for years and years? This is not some kind of concept that this person is well, so he can, he's going to continue living. This person is sick, though he might pass away. We don't know. There's no control in that. And we know from our experience that it doesn't happen that way. Allah Azza wa Jal decides How and when a person is going to pass away So the person who is watchful of the end He's ready for it So when the time comes His regrets are few He's prepared for it He's ready for it He's done all he can And now it's up to the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. How many times does death come And warns us Takes our relatives Takes our friends Takes family members And a person he goes to the janazah He goes to the, uh, to the burial place He goes to the cemetery And then the next day He's back to his normal routine Fajr Salat is being missed or is not being prayed in congregation dua is not being made concentration not being made so many times and i'm not addressing you i'm addressing myself here that we are all in the same boat that you know shaitan comes our nafs comes dunya comes and we forget all these things so a person has to regularly remind himself because if he doesn't do that it's going to escape from him and remember that the one who returns home today after this lecture there's going to come one day where he's not going to return home whether it's from his work whether it's from the masjid whether it's from any place that he goes to The one that enters the cemetery To bury his relatives To bury his family members There's going to come one day Where, he's not, where he himself is going to be Not able to leave from that cemetery The one who carries the janaza, The funeral bier, There's going to come a time Where he himself is going to be carried This is not something about an if It's only a matter of when When is going to happen So a person if he pays attention to these things And reminds himself You know I could not return home today I could not return home after this cemetery. This person who is in the cemetery, could have been me today. This person whose body is being washed, it could have been me today. If a person continues reminding himself about these things, he'll become careful how he lives his life. And so the rule, if a person would think of it as a rule, uh, of, a, of a nasiha, of a advice that I give myself and you, that if, when you were born into this world, you entered into this world crying. And people around you were joyous and happy. Everybody in our time, somebody's texting, mashallah, puta was born, grandson was born, son was born, this person was born. Everybody's texting, calling, so and so was born. There's happiness all around. But you yourself, that person that you that were born, you're crying. You have entered, you have gone from one stage to another stage, from the womb into this dunya. Make it so that when, you, when your end comes, the situation is reverse. You came into this world crying, people around you are laughing. Leave this world in a state that you are happy and joyous with the effort that you have done and now it's up to the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. When people around you are crying. People around you are crying, so and so is leaving us. You are leaving us, you are going. Children are sad, the wife is sad, other relatives are sad. And the person feels that sadness that he's leaving. But at the same time he's looking forward that all my life I've worked for this. And he's happy that what's coming around me, everybody else around you is sad. But you yourself have put in everything. And now you're in the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. That, Ya Allah, it is your mercy. Accept my deeds, forgive me. So these are the beneficial actions that help a person specifically in his grave. And in the barzakh. Beneficial action number one. Whoever recites Ayatul Kursi after every fard salah, Ayatul Kursi, after every ar salah, Ayatul Kursi is the greatest verse in the Quran. Nothing but death can stop him from paradise. This is an authentic hadith and in one narration, it's also Surah Al-Ikhlas, Kul Ahad. So a person combines between two. How many seconds does it take for a person after he makes salam? Fajr, Zuhar, Asr, Maghrib, Shatr, Rai side, Ayat Al-Kursi, and Kul Ahad. And the scholars have explained this, that the meaning of this is that as soon as a person dies, the person who practices upon this hadith, he enters into Jannah. Or, as soon as a person dies, his ru is able to enjoy the pleasures of paradise. Because the grave is either A garden from amongst the gardens of paradise Or a pit from amongst the pit of hellfire And this is authentic Sahih hadith that has been authenticated By many hadith specialists Inshallah I'll go just a little bit quicker Because I know the time is getting um, later Beneficial action number 2 Whoever recites Surah Al-Mulk every night Allah Azza wa Jal will protect him From the punishment of the grave by virtue of it In the time of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The companions named the Surah Al-Mani'ah because it protects from the punishment of the grave. And we mentioned earlier the opinion of some ulama that they said that this Surah Al-Mulk recitation of it not only protects from the punishment of the grave, that the person who recites this regularly is also not questioned in the grave. He doesn't go through the trials of the grave. Various ahadith mentions the virtue of Surah Al-Mulk and they also have been authenticated. So this is an authentic hadith that reading Surah mulk protects from the punishment of the grave. So a person can do this. It is very, very beneficial to do so. Beneficial action number three, Seeking refuge from the torment of the grave in Salah. This comes in authentic hadith in Al-Bukhari that Rasulullah wasallam used to make dua like this Seeking refuge from four things punishment of the grave, the hellfire, the trials of living and dying the trials of living, ignorance, following one's own desires the trials of dying, that staying on iman at the time of death and the trials of a Dajjal these four, the method of it is that when a person, after he has sit down, read his the shahud, read the salawat in salah, he's about to make salam. Okay? He makes this dua. Before making the salam and after sending salutations upon Rasulullah a person reads this dua. And this hadith is mentioned in Bukhari. Obviously authentic hadith And so this is also something that protects a person Because think about a person Who after every single after, after In every single salah He's asking Allah Ya Allah Save me from the punishment of the grave Save me from the trials of living and dying Every single salah He's making this dua So this is a very beneficial action For us to do Beneficial action number four To avoid the three major reasons For punishment in the grave Urine Not pre- not cleaning oneself properly Backbiting giba Namima, sowing dissension between people I go to Zayd and I tell him, Ahmad said this about you Zayd said, oh Ahmad said this about me I'm gonna do this and this to him He goes back to Ahmad says, Ahmad said so and so about you Until that leads to all these issues and problems that we see So these three things, urine, backbiting and sowing dissension In a hadith it comes that you know, people were giving punishment for these kinds of things And the ulama have said that these three things are the most common reasons for punishment in the grave Why? Why these three things? Because on the day of judgment, negligence in the rights of Allah, Allah, and the rights of His servants, these two are going to be accounted for hukukullah and hukukul ibad on the day of judgment. As for the barzakh, that third stage after a person passes away in the grave, those things, those wasail, that means that paved the way for performing hukukullah and hukukul ibad, those things will be taken into account. So, what is from amongst the Allah? what is the biggest? Salah? What is the means to salah? Purification. If a person doesn't purify himself well, if a person is not careful of his urine, of how he purifies himself, his wudu is not correct. If his wudu is not correct, how is his salah going to be accepted? So what takes place in the grave is a prelude to what's going to take place on the day of judgment. And so a person should be careful on these things. Similarly, just like purification pays the way for huqookullah, backbiting and namima because a person might be weak and is not able to hit the person. This person is stronger. This person is a higher position. But every weak person can go and sow dissension. Every weak person can, say, can make giba about that other person. Zed is like this and Zaid is like that. Ahmad is like this and Ahmad is like that. Anybody can do that. Because it's the easiest thing to do. This is the first step in problems in society that leads to murder, that leads to infighting. These will be taken into account on the day of judgment. So in before, in the grave, these things will be taken into account. Namima, Ghiba, so avoid these things because these things are the most common reasons for a person being punished in the grave. Beneficial action number five, reciting the following dua one hundred times daily, La ilaha illallah Malikul mubin It comes it is narrated in a hadith which is a weak hadith that whoever recites La ilaha illallah al Malikul Hakkul Mubin, he will be knocking at the gate of paradise. It will be a solace for him from the desolation of the grave. So this is the reason why we included it he will attract wealth through it and it will be a means of safety from from poverty for him so see, these are the four apparent benefits of this dua this dua has been ranked by the hadith scholars as weak but at the same time hafiz ibn abdul bar who is a hadith specialist has mentioned turja barakatuhu that its blessings are anticipated because it's a dhikr la ilaha illallah is the dhikr a, you're making a dhikr and remembrance of allah azza Jal. so a person does this and inshallah if it's correct he gets these benefits And in fact Rasulullah did say this Then he gets these benefits If it's not He has made the dhikr Which is no harm in making the dhikr He gets the thawab, thawab The ajr For making the dhikr And he also gets these benefits and In fact, If in fact these benefits are there Beneficial action number 6 This recommended by Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah In his book Kitab al-Ruh As one of the most beneficial things That a person can do He said go over your deeds at night Make muhasabah What did you do in today? Who did you harm? Who did you make giba of? Who did you wrong? How was your salah? How was your ibadah? How was your life today? How did these waking hours go for you? And think about the wrongs that you committed that day. Make sincere tawbah. That, ya Allah, I did this, I did this, I did this. I feel sorry for it. I feel remorse. It's not just astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. It's, ya Allah, I did this. It was wrong for me to do. I shouldn't have done this. How could I have done this? And resolve not to repeat. Ya Allah, inshallah, I'm not going to repeat this again. Make istighfar. And if possible, read the du'as of sleeping before going to sleep. What's the benefit of it? Ibn Qayyim says that if that person dies in his sleep, he dies having sought forgiveness with sincerity. Inshallah, he will be forgiven. If he lives until the morning, he will be happy that, Ya Allah, you have given me one more day to do good deeds. One more day to get a higher level. And so this person will look forward to that day to do good deeds. And he will be careful about what he did the previous day. So this is also one of the most beneficial actions that a person can do. Beneficial action number seven. There is no Muslim that passes away on the day of Friday or the night of Friday. We mentioned that this was Thursday night. Except that Allah will save him from the trial of the grave. There are two possibilities. Either the punishment is withheld for that day only or the punishment is held is held, is, is held away from him permanently. And also this person is also protected from the questioning of the grave. We mentioned that a person that passes away from Friday, he's not questioning the grave. And so the ulama have said that Permanent respite from the punishment of the grave is suitable, is more suitable with the grace and favor of Allah Azza wa Jal because Allah Azza wa is the most karim, is the most generous this hadith is also authentic, now the question is how can somebody pass away on a Friday, it's not in our control, it's not like I can say I want to pass away on a Friday, so what's the point of including it here there's a very beautiful point that is included by uh, Mawlana Hakim Akhtar Sahab in his book uh, Hayate Daimi Ki, ki it's called, uh, the chapter is called how to gain the virtue of passing away on a Friday The prescription for that He says you make earnest dua That ya Allah give me death on a Friday You make earnest dua That ya Allah give me death on a Friday I actually had I can remember the person I One friend he told me this He said that he his, One of his relatives Every Friday he was old he was sick He used to call all the family members together around And say I'm gonna pass away today Every Friday he has this expectation And Allah Azza wa gave him that He passed away on a Friday So this expectation That yeah, Allah give me death on a Friday Why? Because you fear Allah Azza wa You are protected from the punishment of the grave Protected from the question of the grave So you make dua So one of two things is going to happen Either your dua is accepted And you get the Friday And you're saved from the punishment of the grave From the question of the grave Okay Number two That doesn't happen You pass away on a Tuesday or Wednesday He said Allah Azza wa looks at your sincerity My slave, my servant was sincerely asking to pass away on a Friday But that was not meant for him Wednesday was written for him Monday was written for him But what was his maqsad? He feared the punishment of the grave He feared the question of the grave So we give him that Because of the dua that he made So this is a prescription for getting the reward of the virtue of passing away on a Friday Whether you pass away on a Friday or not Beneficial action number 8 and 9 These are the last two that in a hadith it comes That Rasulullah said I saw a person from amongst my ummah, Upon whom the punishment of the grave Was subjected to the punishment of the grave But his wudu came and saved him from it Think back to what we talk about The three reasons why a person is punished in the grave Urine, backbiting namima See urine If the purification is done properly The wudu is made properly This is one of the reasons a person is protected from the grave His wudu protects him from the punishment of the grave And Rasulullah said And the next step after wudu, salah that I saw a person from my ummah who was surrounded by the angel of torment, but his salah came to him and saved him, and rescued him from their hands. Person is careful in his wudu, careful in his purification, praises salah with the way that it should be prayed. Inshallah, these two things will protect him from the punishment of the grave. This hadith comes in numerous weak chains, but they all support each other. And so Hafidh Abu Musa al-Madini and Hafidh ibn Taymiyyah rahmahullah, they both say that this hadith thereby reaches stage of authenticity because of the numerous chains that support it so a person make wudu properly and make salah properly these are all in short the beneficial actions that a person can do to protect himself from the grave in closing I want to just mention the story of a person who was walking as this person was walking he suddenly became alert to a voice to some rustling behind him he turns around and he sees there's a lion coming and he starts running and the lion starts chasing him by good fortune, he sees that there's an old abandoned well in front of him And he jumps into this well and grabs hold of the rope that is used to draw the bucket off It's an old abandoned well, so there's nothing there But he jumps into the well and he holds on to this rope The lion is outside Now he hears in the rope, he, he's, in, he's swinging and he hears a hissing sound He looks down at the bottom of the well and there's a snake Now he looks up, there's another noise coming and he sees two mice, one is white, one is black, and they're both eating away at that rope. Now he's in between these three things. There's a lion outside, there's a white and black mice eating away at the rope, and there's a snake waiting from downstairs. While he's doing this, his hands happen to touch something sticky on the rope, and he says, this is honey, and he starts tasting it. Now would you call this person a fool? There's three things that are, that are going on, and this person is tasting, MashaAllah, this is sweet, I have to take some home for the wife. And what happens? The rope breaks, the person falls. That person, that, that lion that was chasing, that person was you and I. That lion that was chasing it was his death. That snake that was there in the in the abandoned well, that was his grave. And those mice, that white and black mice that were eating away at the rope, that was day and night. White mice, black mice. And so they eat away at the rope of your life. Your time is coming to an end. Slowly, 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 it's determined. One day passes, two days pass, three days pass. And a person is busy with the dunya, he's eating this honey and all of a sudden the rope cuts and he falls and it's over and he hasn't prepared for himself so the lesson for us for all of us is that we go into this dunya we came into this dunya, this second age it's the end, the end of dunya as we know it but it's not the end End it's the beginning of a third stage when we leave this world of barzakh. and a person should do all he can so that when that time comes when he's leaving this dunya people are sad, he is joyous he has prepared for it his regrets are few It's not i should have prayed that salah i should have made that hajj i should have made that umrah i should have given that zakat i should have you know not i should have uh, paid that pa- back that loan his re- his concern is that i have done all i can allah mercy i'm now f- waiting for the forgiveness from allah azza may allah give us all tawfiq to act upon this may allah azza make it easy for us all the stages what is to come in the barzakh the hereafter and i apologize for going over the time astaghfirullah min kulli bil the first question is, if a person dies through the relative, if the person dies, though the relative always makes dua for him or her, can they go to Jannah? Again, this is something that is in the ilm of Allah Azza wa Jal, but when a person asks forgiveness, obviously that person, that is in its favor. And obviously whatever reward is consigned to to that deceased, to the deceived beloved relative That reward like we mentioned also reaches that person So inshallah it is hope that the mercy of Allah Azza wa jal, That that person will continue to receive these rewards Whatever dua is made for him and he continues benefit from them If in fact that person is in a position, in a difficult position Then Allah Azza wa jal, through the blessings of these duas and these actions Will relieve him from the punishment of the grave But that is up to the mercy of Allah Azza wa jal, and he knows best I'm a convert and my parents are not Muslim. How do I explain to them that my biggest fear is not being together in heaven? Uh, This is a beautiful question. Um, And unfortunately, I do not know the answer of how a person can convince because hidayah is in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. And a person can try his best and make dua and continue with whatever means that he has to convince that person that, you know, to accept Islam. But ultimately, guidance is in the hands of Allah Azza wa uh, Whoever asked this question, I'll just ask him to, or her to recall that Rasulullah tried so much with his uncle, who was his external support, and yet he passed away without having embraced Islam. So it is something that is out of our hands, but at the same time, if we can convince them, whether through logical means, or whether through other means and making dua that Allah Azza wa Jal guide them, Inshallah, it is hope that Allah Azza wa Jal guide them towards Islam. I have heard that the belief that a believer's grave expands as far as the eye can see. How can the grave squeeze a person at the same time? Because when we're talking about the realm of the hereafter, Allah Azza wajal can do anything that He wants. We talked about the position of the soul, how it's in two places at the same time. It has his maqam, its abode, wherever Allah Azzawajal has determined for it. At the same time, there's a connection with the grave. Similarly, when a person is in the grave, thus the believer's grave expands as far as the eye can see. But there's also a squeeze that happens for him that is established to authentic hadith. Wallahu ala. In the lecture you said the person who passes away is aware of good and bad deeds of those he left behind. Can you explain what that means? They can see the good and bad deeds of others It is mentioned that they are made aware of the good and bad deeds How they are made aware of the good and bad deeds of that person Allah knows best What is the ruling between the people that have dreams about people's passing away Before they are informed of the death of a loved one I'm assuming that the questioner means that A person sees that one of the loved one passes is passes away, and then after some time, that dream comes true. This is because that person saw a true dream. We know that dreams can be true and dreams can be um, uh, cannot be true. So, if a person saw a true dream or he was informed of something that was to happen, that is something that is the will of Allah Azza wa Jal. That something happened that he was informed of what was happened. People many times people see true dreams, and that thing happens. So this is not only confined to a person seeing a dream about a beloved person passing away But it's also that a person sees something Or he sees something and the interpretation of that thing comes out after a few days So a person does see true dreams And it's part and parcel of our deen that a believer does see true dreams Um, You know, that doesn't have to be every time But he does see true dreams Allahu alam. What do we? how do we understand what Allah says he breathed his soul into Adam what does that mean about our soul this means that Allah Azza wa Jal by, consa, by making nasab of the soul towards him that is ikram and honor for the human being to understand that what kind of position he occupies in this dunya that he is not meant to live like an animal to think about eating uh, and sleeping and whatever other material com- comforts that are there But Allah Azza wa Jal has given him this position The ru is breathed in whatever way it's uh, it's blown into that into that person Is because Allah Azza wa Jal means to honor that person So it's an honor for us to have that Allah Azza wa Jal Where the ru is breathed and blown into the person And Allah, a person should take care of that Understand that Allah Azza wa Jal has honored me And I should try to live my life How a person should really live his life How the true believer I have heard some believers will spend some time in hell, then eventually go to go to heaven. What they will see in the grave then, heaven or hell? The hadith that we mention of Al-Bara ibn Azib mentions two states. It doesn't mention a third state, but it is known that a person, whether he's a Muti' or fasik Whether he's a, a person who passed away in his life Or he was a believer And because of some reason he's punished in the grave had something he did wrong For example, like we mentioned Urine is one of the reasons why the punishment in the grave is there Or he was a believer and good in every other aspect his salah was there, his zakah was there, his hajj was there But he had the habit of ghibah The punishment will take place in the grave So that person will be punished in the grave As for the full accounting that will take place That will take place on the day of judgment And to my knowledge We are not informed of a third um, status between these two We are informed of the hadith of Al-Bara ibn Azib. How exactly it happens with the person how is he? How is what happens to him? Does he see heaven? Does he see hell? Allah Azza wa Jal Alam. I have a question regarding sending the root salawat for the dead. Will they know? Um, we send salawat to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We make du'a for our dead. So salawat uh, is sent to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Oh, is that what they meant? Okay. Okay. If the question is that If a person does any good deeds If the meaning of the question is that the person says salawat Or does any good deeds And he does it with the intention that the reward is consigned to that person Then the reward reaches that person Whatever good deeds that does Whether that is verbal or physical or monetary So a person does dhikr recitation of the Quran something verbal he says the reward of this Ya Allah give it to my father my mother the reward is reached with the will of Allah azza and by his mercy similarly if he prays salah does hajj does umrah the reward is reached if he does it with that intention that he wants to consign the reward to his loved one similarly a person gives money monetary donation the reward of that reaches the dead person by the will of Allah azza wa Wallahu alam. I believe the last example regarding the well was by Imam Ghazali in which can I find this I, I don't know Asalam alaikum my dad passed away but he never came in my dreams. Can you explain in this regard? It is not necessary that a person sees the person who, who deceased relative that has passed away. It is possible, yes, because the ruh can meet a ruh, a living ruh can meet a deceased ruh. This is possible. But it's not necessary that a person sees somebody all the time or any time. What happens to the person who commits suicide? It is with Allah Azza wa Jal to forgive him. I have a few acquaintances who claim to have tampered with the arts pertaining to astral projection of the soul. They are Muslims. Is there any significance of this in Islam? Again, like we mentioned in the beginning, that when it comes to the issues of the soul and the ruh and the affairs of the hereafter, a person should concern himself that that which will benefit him the hereafter, not go into those things which have absolutely no relation to any benefit for him the hereafter. So this is from those questions, like we said, you know, that is a wedding I did not attend. Is there a co- correlation between the way a person dies And what he will face in the grave or the hereafter uh, We have heard from the ulama that you know, A person should not be concerned about that It, it is something with Allah Azza wa Jal A person should not have misgivings That this person died in such a way This person died in such a way Does that mean that this person you know, Did not have a good type of death Because we are, have to think good about our deceased And if a person can do anything You can't do anything about how that person is going to pass away that is not in our control But you can do something about the dua that you make for that person Or the thawab that you send to him As-salamu alaykum, You mentioned that the child of a believer is not questioned in the grave Does that also apply to the children of non-believers? Yes, I specifically did not mention that Not yes to the question I specifically did not mention that Because our ulama have tawakkuf in this matter They have not talked about this matter Because like we said again This is a matter that doesn't concern us do the children of the non-believers are they question or not question the grave although Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani uh, who is from among the eminent scholars has said in the reference book Rad al-Muhtar that I know so much that Allah will not punish anybody without sin because Allah is the most just and this is the tawqf that we have without saying yes they will be questioned no they will not be questioned their matter is consigned to Allah he is the most just he will not punish anybody without sin are there virtues of visiting the grave of loved ones would the deceased get any pleasure yes the deceased get uns when a person comes and visits the graves and offers salam the deceased is able to return the salam so it is something that we should do and the sharia also um, has encouraged us to visit the graves so that we continue to remember death assalamualaikum if son is doing good deeds does do those deeds automatically reward deceased father or only when he asks prayers for him? The answer is, it comes in a hadith that a person will come on the day of judgment and he will get so much reward. And so, I think the person is alluding to that hadith and so he'll be told, where did I get this reward from? And it'll be said, because of the istighfar of your son. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person, if that child doesn't make istighfar, that person will not get any reward. That person will continue to get reward for whatever actions his son does Because if the tarbiyah is right Then he continues getting the reward For whatever action that person does This is something I just want to stop and talk about Because this person raised an important question And Sometimes you see that a pious person Has a child who is disobedient In spite of that person doing all his best And sometimes you see a disobedient person Who has a pious child in spite of not engaging in any tarbiyah Don't be fooled by this The ulama have clearly mentioned That person who is disobedient Is not going to get any reward of that pious person Because this is by the, by the will of Allah He made that person pious And that person who is pious Will get the reward of the tarbiyah that he made In spite of that person being disobedient So don't be confused in these two things And I also want to add one more thing That we always talk about the sons Respected brothers A person who has daughters He has made He has it made Okay the person who has daughters, he has it made. And the person who has two daughters that comes in a hadith that he will be with Rasulullah in like this. Rasulullah, indicate with this obviously the middle finger is taller than the smaller finger, so it doesn't mean exactly the same. But he'll have a very high position. If he makes good tarbiyah of them, if he provides for their needs, if he raises them, how they're meant to be raised, the person who has two daughters has a very, very high status in Islam person who has two daughters It is like he's being rewarded with a high position in Jannah On a silver plate There's very little that he has to do to get into Jannah Make proper tarbiyah and provide for their needs Inshallah he will get a higher level in Jannah How does one rectify the hukukul ibad Something of a harm he has done to someone in the past You make dua for that person You can send uh, thawab for that person you can stay on whatever good counsel that that person gave you. If you remember any good thing that this person said, you act on that good counsel. You always mention him with good in whatever uh, uh, majlis or whether uh, gathering that you sit. You make dua for him. All these things will benefit him inshaAllah. And you make dua to Allah azza wa that Allahumma ma kana min haqqin laq min li wa ma kana min haqqin li ghairika alayya fatahammalu anni Oh Allah, whatever haqq is there of you, Ya Allah, forgive me because I am Qasir in that. I am not able to fulfill whatever hukukul ibad that are there. I know there's so many. This person passed away, I couldn't fulfill it. So carry them from thee because on the day of judgment, if this person comes and grabs me, I will become muflis. This person will take my good deeds. Wallahuala. This is the, uh, the, the mercy of Allah جل, that He has designed this stage in that way of the barzakh that there is punishment in the grave. So that there will be people who will be punished in the grave And so all their accounting is done But on the day of judgment they come and everything is clear So the question is that If you are supposed to be punished in the akhira Then why are we punished in the grave Aren't all of our sins and good deeds accounted in the akhirah? All of the sins and good deeds are accounted in the akhirah. Everything is taken into account But in the barzakh, There are certain things that are specifically taken into account for For example the slide we mentioned Specific things that are specifically taken into account for In the barzakh that a person is punished or rewarded for and this is the hikmah and the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal and Wallahu a'lam.